once again, uh, I'm Rayshawn. For those of you who don't, don't know me, uh, this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we'll be in the, the last chapter of Acts. I'm a little loud. We'll be in the last chapter of Acts, but this is by no means the last chapter because we'll see how the church continues to grow and it continues to be on mission, advancing the gospel throughout the world, even to this present day and way past us until whenever the Lord decides to come back for his people and we spend eternity with him. So we're in the last chapter of Acts and we're going to see how the messengers of the gospel may be hindered, but the message of the gospel will never be hindered. So let's go to the Lord for a word of prayer before we go into Acts chapter 28 this morning. Father God, we just come before you right now. We thank you for this time. We just thank you, Lord God, that we will receive uh, what you would have for us to receive through your preached word, Lord God, through the word that you have uh, spoken to us by your son, Lord God. Help it to change our hearts. Help us to help it to draw us closer to you, Lord God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to convict our hearts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and that you would glorify yourself and exalt yourself in this message, Lord God, and that the light of the gospel will be proclaimed. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So last week we talked about uh, Acts 27 and how we saw Paul, how he came through this storm on his way to Rome and how God essentially worked in and through this storm to kind of change their travel plans and drive them to this island before they would actually get to Rome. And we're going to see how we saw how the sufferings of Paul, how God worked in and through his sufferings to advance the mission of the gospel from going forth. And we're going to see sort of the same thing here today as we come to Acts 28, how how in this shipwreck, uh, they were going from, I wish I had a map, but they were going from Fair Havens to Phoenix. And it was kind of this going around the coast of this island, kind of on the left side of it. But they ended up all the way out in this, in nothing but, but water and just ocean for days. And they were shipwrecked and they were stranded for two weeks. And God eventually took over driving the ship. He drives it straight towards this little island called Malta. And here we see where God wants to advance his mission next. Um, so we see Acts 28. And we want to see how this, this message is called, and so we came to Rome. And kind of where I'm going is we're going to go through this chapter. We're going to touch down on a few points. We're going to look at two signposts on Malta. We're going to see how uh, two signposts that end up pointing to Christ and the gospel on the island of Malta. Then next we'll go to, uh, to see where Paul arrives finally at Rome, how he's encouraged by, his, by the people there, how he finally sees them, how he eagerly longs to get to Rome. And now this, he's reached his destination and then we're going to see how he has these two meetings with the Jewish leaders there and how he, how he has these meetings with these people and the gospel is continuously being proclaimed to them. And once again, we see the reaction of the gospel that, that, that's happening uh, that we see all throughout the book of Acts. So we'll go ahead and start reading through uh, Acts 28.1. It says, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. They had been shipwrecked. Uh, it says in, in verse 44 of chapter 27, and the rest on planks or on, on pieces of the ship. And so it was that we were brought safely to land. This island was called Malta. It says the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time they, and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. 
So the first thing we kind of want to look at is these people on Malta, they've arrived, they've been shipwrecked, and the first thing that these people do is that some of your Bibles may say that they were kind of a barbarous people or barbarians. They weren't uncivilized or savages. They were people who didn't speak the Greek language, and that's why Luke uses this word barbarous to describe them. They were people who didn't speak the Greek language. They had some of the Roman culture, and we see that they were uh, uh, worshiping kind of these, the Roman and Greek gods. And the first thing that they did was show this unusual kindness is what Luke said. They build a fire for them. It's raining. It's cold. They've been shipwrecked. Um, they, they come upon this land. This is 276 people who are soldiers, prisoners, and sailors. And immediately the first thing the Maltese do is that they build this fire and, and this, this great act of kindness. So the next thing that they do is that we see that Paul is gathering these sticks for the fire. And we know from Acts 27 that he's moved from passenger to essentially almost captain of the ship and that he tells them, he advises them not to, not to take sail because he knows that this is their hurricane season, that it's going to be a pretty rough travel, pretty rough, uh, pretty rough on, on the seas. And so they don't listen to Paul. They sail forth. Paul gives them this, this prophecy in the midst of the storm, and he tells them to take cheer because everyone's going to make it. Everyone's going to get through this storm. And so Paul's moved from outside of the circle of influence to actually just being just that leader that everyone's looking to. And we see that picking up sticks isn't, too, isn't something that's below Paul. He gets on this island at, right after just being shipwrecked and going through all of these things and the additional sufferings that we've seen all throughout last week. And he's picking up sticks for the fire. And the next thing that we see that is, is, happens to Paul is that it says in verse 4, when Paul had gathered, verse 3, it says, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So this viper, as he was gathering these sticks, it was cold. It was around December of that time of year. He was picking up these sticks. This viper was probably real stiff, just, just kind of like because it was cold. He throws these sticks into the fire and this viper jumps out and bites his hand and fastens to his hand. And the Maltese reaction is, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. And then we see is that Paul shakes this creature off in the fire in verse 5. And eventually the, the, the Maltese, they, they, don't, they see that he doesn't swell up and die. They see he doesn't immediately fall down dead because of this. They think that he's a murderer. They say he's getting what's, what's due to him. The, the goddess justice might allow him to slip past this, this hurricane, but gotcha. This goddess justice who they're worshiping is, is now supposedly just kind of, Paul is reaping what he's so-called so because they think that he's a murderer because this is what has happened to him. Then it says eventually they changed their minds and said that he was a god after he didn't swell up and die. So what we want to see here is that these Maltese, they, they were moral people. They were moral people, but they were without God. They showed kindness. They built a fire. They recognized that, that evil should be paid for. They had this concept of, of when we see wrong or when this, something bad must have happened to this man. He must be a murderer, and therefore now he's getting what he deserves. And they were also idol worshipers. They were saying that this goddess justice was bringing this on Paul. So we see that they were moral people. They were, they were moral without God. The law of God was written on their hearts. But yet they were so unstable in their unbelief. And what we see from these Maltese people, what we can learn from that is that this is everyone without Christ. This is all of us without God, is that we're, we're moral, but we're, we're without God. We go every day and we, we go out and we do kind things for people. We, we come across people in our workplaces, our jobs, who don't necessarily hope in Jesus as their salvation, but they're kind. They're nice people. They do good things for you. When they turn on the news, when we turn on the news and, and prior to Christ, we look and we see a murderer who's done something. We say, you know what? He should get something. He, he should have a punishment. 
were moral. We have the law of God written on our hearts, but they were idol worshipers. They served this goddess Justice, who was called Dike. And they worshiped this goddess Justice, and they said that Paul is getting what he deserves because we, we think that he's a murderer, but at the same time, they're unstable in their unbelief. What, what this reminds me of is, is kind of like barbershop talk, how you go in and someone's, everyone's talking about the sports team that's gone undefeated, and the next minute they lose, and we just change up. No, 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 that, that can't be. I, this is what it is. No, this is what, they were so unstable in their unbelief, and what we see is that this is, this is why Paul is on this island, is because these people were still suffering from the effects of the fall way back when Adam and Eve sinned against God, and we see that they, they became dead in their trespasses and sins, that their minds were futile, that their minds were hostile against God, they were rebellious against God, yeah, they did some good things, they had this knowledge of good and of evil, they could identify that murders deserve punishment, and they could go and build fires for people and be kind. But we see what happens is, is that their minds are blinded. They're unstable in their unbelief. They're unable to come to any sort of success in, in actually validating anything. They're rebellious against God. They're serving these other idols. And this is why Paul is on this island. God has people in Malta, and they're blinded from seeing the light of the gospel. They're still suffering from the effects of the fall, rebellion against God, idolatry, and they're futile in their thinking. Paul's gone from a murderer to being a god. And this isn't the first time he's come across this. We've seen in Lystra, way before, in in Acts chapter chapter 14, I believe, how he he comes across these people. He comes across this crippled man in Lystra, and he heals him. He tells him to to rise up and walk, and the people immediately think, these guys are gods. Barnabas is Zeus, and Paul is Hermes, the speaker for the gods, and we're going to bring these sacrifices to them. We're going to worship them. And Paul says, men, men, we're we're not like you. We're just like you. Excuse me. We're just like you. But we have this good news for you. We want to proclaim this good news that God is calling every, all these people to repent. He's calling you to repent, to believe on him, to trust in him. And this sign points to him, not to us. And immediately they changed their minds. They changed their minds about him. Some Jews came into the city. They incited a riot against them. And Paul and, and Barnabas were nearly stoned. They were futile in their thinking. And apart from Christ, this is, this is exactly how we are. As we go on mission, these are exactly the kind of people that we, we run into, that they're good people. They're good people. They do kind things, but they're rebellious against God. They built up idols of, of self in their hearts, and that was us prior to crisis, that we built up idols in our hearts and we might have done some good things, but ultimately, because we rebel against God, we need the light of the gospel. And so what we can see from this is that Paul has, is still on mission on this island. He's not, you know, he's not surprised by this, but he knows that God will bring him to Rome, but obviously God has some other plans first. He's got a people in Malta that he wants to reach. So God changes their travel plans. He drives them to Malta, and, and likewise, we may find ourselves like Paul, being in places that we, didn't, we don't expect to be. But like Paul, we must constantly be on mission. And it doesn't say that Paul said anything to them, but it's implied because everywhere that he goes when he runs into these kind of situations, he preaches the gospel to them. He tells them about the good news that, that God has overlooked these times of ignorance, but now he calls all men everywhere to repent. And God does this. He works in and through the sufferings of Paul. As we see this, and what we can take from this is that we may find ourselves, like I said, in places that we don't, we don't expect to be. How God may change our course a little bit. There may be a, a job that we're not satisfied with, and we may look and say, God, why am I here? 
There may be sufferings that we go through. We say, God, why am I going through this? He changes our travel plans because he is going to continue to work in and through our sufferings, our, our not knowing where we're at sometimes. And he calls us to be on mission in the midst of those situations. And so, again, we see that Paul has been bitten by this snake. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And it says in verse 5, He, however, shook the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And they were waiting for him to swell up or fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So once again, this is an opportunity. God is now going to step into this situation, and he's going to show himself to be God. He's going to proclaim himself to these people, and he does it in and through, once again, Paul's sufferings. A viper jumps out of the fire, latches to him. Out of 276 people that are probably picking up sticks, this happens to Paul. And this isn't just fate. This isn't chance. This is God actively working through the sufferings of his servant to proclaim himself to a people that do not know him. So once again, like we talked about last week, be encouraged in your sufferings knowing that it's God's not picking on you. This isn't just fate or chance and this just somehow happened to you and because you've done something or you just, you're getting what you deserve, but God is actually working in and through this to advance his mission, to bring the gospel and to, to, to show the light of the gospel to the people who are around you to your family, to your friends, to the people who you've been called to reach and be a light to. And this is what's happening here on Malta. What's meant to kill Paul only serves to advance the mission of the gospel and conform into the image of Jesus. And what's meant to kill us, what's meant to destroy us, what's meant in demonic opposition to come and harass us and separate us from the love of God only draws us and pulls us closer to him, conforming us to the image of Christ. So next we see, we see something else going on. Now, in the neighborhood of that place, there were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of, of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and, putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on that island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put us on board, and, and they put on board with us whatever we needed. So Paul's now got everybody's attention. You can imagine he's preached the gospel to them. He's told them, I'm just like you all, but God is doing something right now. He's, he's pointing you to himself. Repent and believe. Trust in him. You're serving this goddess, Dike. You're serving this goddess who, who can do nothing for you. But the God I serve, he, he, he's died. He's risen. Put your faith in him. And so Paul is now the, the, kind of the, the center of attention, and he, uses, he spreads the gospel in and through this. He, he heals the chief's father. He goes and he prays for him. He lays hands on him, and he's healed. And then right after that, Paul then gives this free health care to all the sick people on the island. Everybody comes around and they're cured as a result of, of this going on. And Paul gives this free health care after he's healed. After he's healed this, this, this governor of the island, his father. And tradition has it that this is where the church on Maltese started. That this guy, Publius, he, he became the first bishop of the church there because of what happened here. Because of their so-called misguided ship hitting this island in the middle of nowhere. God's, God's reaching and advancing the mission. So what does this say? What, what's happening here? 
This reminds us that we, we see two signs here that we see in the Great Commission. In Mark 16, 15 through 18, he says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So far, on, this, on these five different signs that have happened, four of these things have occurred in Paul's ministry. Two of them have happened right here. You can check these off the list, and, and what happens is that Paul is now, he's, he's taken up serpents. He's not playing snake handler, but this serpent, this calamity has happened to him, and as a result, this sign has been fulfilled. God's promises are being fulfilled and that he will protect his servants because all authority and power has been given to him. They shall speak in new tongues. Paul's done that. They will pick up serpents with his hands. Paul's done that. If they drink any deadly poison, at least we don't know that it happened in the life of Paul, it will not hurt them. They will lay, lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Today, we, we, it's, it's, it's so ironic today that the people that we see doing so many of these signs are the people we turn on the TV and see them and we're just like, you know what, those people are crazy. They're not preaching the gospel. They're so-called doing all these signs, so, so it looks like people are benefiting from these things, but they're not preaching the gospel. And so, so many times we, we push away from these signs. We say, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't know if I want to see those things. I don't know if I really want to, want to put my faith into believing that those things can happen in and through me. Because the people that I see doing them, the people that are claiming to doing them, they look out of their mind. But we should pray for these things to, to follow us because we believe. Not pointing to more signs, not pointing to ourselves, but pointing to Christ. These were two signposts to the people of Malta to point them to see that Christ is God. And we shouldn't be afraid of these things. We shouldn't be afraid that when we're on mission, whether we go to another country or whether we go down the street, to lay hands on the sick and and pray to see them recovered. We shouldn't be afraid to, to see that God will work in and through the calamities and different things that happen to us and see a miracle happen. Or we, maybe we step out of a car crash and, and nothing happens to us. Or maybe something disastrous happens to, to the, the area or something and we're not harmed by it. And people look and say, what's, what's going on? They're waiting for you to swell up and die, but you can point to Christ. We shouldn't push these signs away, but rather we should, we should God, show these signs if you're willing, by your spirit. But we shouldn't miss the forest for the trees. That's one of the things that, that so many of us, we, we have issues with. Is that, like we, we said, we see the people who are proclaiming to do these things, and I don't get it. They're, they're pointing to themselves. They're pointing to more signs. Let's make note, Paul didn't come to this island and set up a healing crusade. He was on a mission to spread the gospel. And once again, he didn't come here to do that. He was on mission. And because these signs happened, he pointed to Christ in the midst of these signs. He wasn't pointing to himself. He wasn't pointing to more signs. He was pointing to Christ, and he wasn't pointing to the offering plate. And so we should continuously be praying for these things to God, if you're willing, by your spirit, let these things happen on on the mission. These signs shall follow those who believe. So next we have verses 11 through 16. 
We see that this, this has happened on this island. And as a result, they, they treated them hospitably. Many diseases, all the diseases on the island were cured. They, they honored us greatly. The gospel was preached at Malta. God's now going to continuously be at work saving the Maltese. The gospel is going to grow and produce fruit as it's already done throughout the world. And after three months of ministry on Malta, it says, After three months we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. This is kind of ironic, and I think that it's funny that Luke throws this in there, because in chapter 27, all the men were distressed on the ship. The soldiers, the sailors, the Roman gods, you can imagine, like in Jonah, all the, men's were, all the men were calling out on their God, and they were telling Jonah to call out on your God, maybe he'll give us an answer. And you can imagine all these men were calling out to all these Roman and Greek gods in the midst of this storm, and then Paul stands up and goes, my God is going to get us out of this. And they listened. They were encouraged by Paul. But just like we see, if, if they didn't believe, they were still unstable in their belief. It points right back to the people on Malta because now they've got this ship with the twin gods as a figurehead. And what this represented is that maybe they had gone back and, and stopped believing Paul's message. And Paul, we're now, you know, that was good and everything. We made it through. But the reason we're going to get back to Rome safely is because we've got two of these twin gods, Castor and Pollux, on the front of our ship. And supposedly these two twin gods were believed to protect the sailors on the water from hurricanes. So it's kind of ironic how we see kind of the, the futility in the minds of, of those maybe of the soldiers and sailors who didn't necessarily believe Paul's message but thought that they just got out of there by luck. So putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers, and we were, we were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they had heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. So Paul's finally getting to Rome. And these people, they meet at Puteoli, and when they stay with them for seven days, these brothers, these Christians were already there. And these people were coming, as Paul was entering into Rome, these people were coming 50 miles out from 10 to 50 miles out to greet him, to meet him there. And you can imagine that Paul was greatly encouraged. He was greatly encouraged by this Christian community that had come to see him, that they'd never seen him before. They, they maybe heard about him. He'd written a, Ro- a letter to the Romans three years prior, but they were encouraged by him. They, they greeted him with hospitality. They encouraged him. It says, if you just flip over one page in some of your Bibles, it'll say in Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15, that Paul was eagerly trying to get to Rome. And so he was greatly encouraged. You can imagine maybe he was just crying with tears of joy, but now he, would, he has reached his destination and he's seen through the confirmations that Christ has given him through the storm and in the midst of all his sufferings that, Paul, you will testify to the facts about me in Rome that he's finally getting here. God has been faithful in his promises and he can rest in the fact that God is in control. He's in control. He's finally brought him to Rome. So he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness who I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow God will, I, God will, I may now at last succeed in coming you, in coming to you. For long, I, I long to see you that my, I, impart, I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. 
both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul is eager. He's, he's encouraged by them because he, he's longed to see them for three years. He's been trying to get to them. And God has been faithful in, in advancing the mission thus far. And now, how did these people get here? How did these Christians get to Rome? Paul didn't start a church here. Paul hadn't been there before. He wrote a letter to them, and he encouraged the church in Rome. But how did they get here? Well, if you look all the way back in Acts chapter 2, verse 10, it'll tell you that on that great day of Pentecost, when, when the disciples were out and they were speaking in tongues, and Peter gave that great sermon, it was before people who were from all these different lands. And it tells you in Acts 2.10 that there were visitors from Rome there. God was already at work in advancing the mission of his gospel to the world. And it wasn't until the, the, the persecution and the martyrdom of Stephen that, the, that they actually started to go. But God was already advancing the mission of his gospel throughout the world. And we can be confident as well that God will continue to advance his mission. He is at work. He is working in and through us. And he's advancing this mission because this word of God is living and powerful. It's alive. It is always at work. So these, these people were, were already converted and they were excited to see Paul. So when they came to Rome... Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. These people were, were probably some of the people in Romans chapter 15 and Romans chapter 16 that, that he greeted. All these people who he knew and had heard about were now coming to greet them. He could, he could see their faces. And now Paul, if you will, almost had this sort of triumphal entry into Rome. The man who is in chains is now escorted by hundreds possibly of people who long to see him. And this also mirrors the way that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came into his, his destination, Jerusalem. He comes riding on a colt, a donkey, and yet he's greeted by so many who, who are proclaiming, Hosanna, Hosanna. And at the same time, Paul is, is being brought in, in these chains. Maybe the other the soldiers, the, the sailors, the people who were with him didn't understand it. But this was because of the gospel that this was happening. So, Paul arrives in Rome, in verse 17 through 30, we'll spend the most of our time here. And Paul meets, he takes three days, probably to rest up. And after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. He didn't waste any time once he got to Rome. He wanted to tell them why he was there. And then he wanted to tell them why he was really there. After three days, he called together the local, locals of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the, or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you. Since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So this is why Paul calls the Jewish leaders to himself, the leaders of the synagogue. And he explains to them, this is how I've gotten here. 
The Jews, they, they brought up these false charges against me. I have no vengeance against them. I'm not trying to counter-sue, so to speak, in legal terms. I have nothing against my people. I, I love them. They turned me over to the Romans. The Romans couldn't find anything wrong. So they sent me here. This is why I'm here. And so he explains in verse 20, but this is the reason why I'm, why I'm really here. Because God was at work in and through all of this to bring me here to you. For this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Paul has mentioned what this hope of Israel is several times before. In his trials, in speaking to the Jews when he was first brought into Jerusalem, he stands up and says, it's for the hope of Israel that I'm here. He tells the the Jewish leaders when he sees the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he stands up before them and says, it's because of the resurrection of the dead, the hope of Israel, that I'm here today, and it incites a riot. And so this is why he's here. And this sort of stands out because Paul keeps telling him, he tells the Romans, he tells the Jews, it's for the hope of Israel that that I'm here, that I'm being brought before you. What is this hope of Israel? It's the resurrection of the dead. See, Paul was a Pharisee. And that's why most of the Pharisees originally had agreed with him that he believed in the resurrection of the dead. This resurrection of the dead was that God, in the end, would, would, uh, would bring this resurrection of the dead for the just and for the unjust. And those who were just would receive eternal life, and those who were unjust would receive wrath and fury. Those who had done good would receive eternal life. Those who, were, who had done evil and had served themselves, as Romans 2 was talking about, would receive wrath and fury. So this is what Paul was here for. He said that this is why he had tried to strive with a clean conscience before God, because there was going to be a resurrection. This should be our hope. The Pharisees believed that they would be resurrected to eternal life on the basis of their law-keeping. They believed in a resurrection of the dead, and so therefore they, they held these laws. They made up new laws. They tried to continue to persevere in those laws, thinking that they would be saved by those things. Paul and the apostles and the believers, they believed that they would be resurrected to eternal life on the basis of Christ alone. And this is our hope, through the resurrection of the dead into eternal life on the basis of Christ alone. No matter if you're here today, if you, if you don't know Christ or if you know Christ, there will be a resurrection of the dead and you will find yourself either in the just or the unjust. You will find yourself with a court date. You have a court date that you can't put off, that you can't miss, that won't be rescheduled, and it is before the judgment throne of God. None of us can escape that. As a matter of fact, you don't have to try to go towards it. It's coming towards you. Paul says in the Hebrews that it's appointed unto man once to die and after the judgment. It's coming towards you. And that's why we should have an internal mindset. We should live our lives in light of the fact that there will be a resurrection of the dead and that you and I will stand before God and we will have to give an account. The question is, will you find yourselves in line with the Pharisees, justifying yourself before God because of your own works, because of the laws that you've kept, because of the, the, the law of God that's been written on your heart, and you say, I, I tried, I tried? Or will you find yourself with Paul, the apostles, those who have put their faith in Christ, and say, the only reason that I will have eternal life, the only reason that, that God, if you let me into heaven, if you allow me this eternal life to spend with you, to enjoy you, is on the basis of Christ and Christ alone. This should be our hope, that when we are on mission, when we are living our lives and our, our jobs and our schools and our workplaces, wherever we're at, if we're missionaries in a, in a foreign country, that our hope, the way we live our life, the hope that we tell people that First Peter is talking about, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead, and I've got to know Jesus. I've got to know him. Like Paul said, I've, I've, 
suffered the loss of all things in order that I may know him, not having a righteousness of my own, but through Christ, that by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead. This should be our hope, that we will have to stand before God, and that, that Christ is the only way that we'll be able to stand before him and not reap that wrath and fury that so many people who try to present their works and their, their good things before God will experience. I encourage you today, if you do not know Christ, seek to know him as Paul knew him, because he is, I need him as my hope, because without him, I'm lost. Without him, I have no hope. I will not be able to stand before God. I will not be able to enjoy God. I will not be able to have eternal life without Jesus. And I've got to know him. So this was his hope. This hope, and this is why he was wearing this chain. For the resurrection of the dead. Paul and the Pharisees, they differed on on how one attained this resurrection from the dead into eternal life. Like we said, the Pharisees believed that it was because of their works, and Paul believed that Jesus is the only way. So next, it says, but we desire, the, the leaders respond, they said, but we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So it's funny that they hadn't heard about Paul. Everywhere else Paul went, these Jewish guys, are, they're, they're following him. The Jewish leaders are following him. They're bringing these false charges against him. But he finally comes to Rome, and these guys are kind of the, this diplomatic response. We haven't heard anything about you. What had they heard about? But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, they heard about this sect. They heard about what Paul's beliefs were, although they hadn't heard about Paul. We know that everywhere it is spoken against. Once again, the gospel going throughout the whole world. God advancing his mission, and this was their response. They wanted to, to know more about it. So verse 23, it says, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. So these Jewish leaders, perhaps more people, even maybe some of the believers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. He lived therefore, he lived there two years, two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So they appointed this day for Paul, and he, he spends the entire day giving this expository sermon from the law, from the prophets, even maybe from some of the psalms that, that Peter and some of the other people in Acts who had given these sermons had, had proclaimed that Christ was to be fulfilled through, through these things. He preached from morning till evening. You can a- imagine they were probably asking him, a quest, asking him questions and, you know, what does this mean, Paul? What does this look like? And wh- what, what did this sermon have in it? What, what was it about? Why didn't Luke record it? 
We can imagine that this sermon probably reflected a lot of what Paul had written three years prior to them in the book of Romans. How Paul had had started off by telling them in the first three chapters that, that, listen, God requires righteousness. He's revealed himself to all mankind. And as a result of that, we've suppressed the truth, both the Jew and Gentile. He requires righteousness, and, and, and he, requires, he, he has this standard of the law, and no one has, has met this law, both Jew and Gentile. Jews who have the law and Gentiles who have the light of their conscience, we've all fallen short. There is no one righteous, no, not one. You can imagine him telling them this, and they're responding to them with several scriptures, but, but Paul, but Paul this, but Paul that, and, and he keeps going and telling them, you need righteousness to stand before him. You have a court date is what Paul was telling them again. And you'll have to stand before God. And you'll need to be justified. But no one is justified in keeping the works of the law. And you can imagine at the, at the kind of the climax of his, his expository sermon, he, he goes to Romans 3.21 and he, he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. All men are under sin, but the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And all, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You can imagine Paul telling them this, that you're you're trying to keep the law, but there's one who has kept the law perfectly. Christ. And justification only comes through him, through faith in him. He was telling them that Christ had borne the wrath of God that you and I deserved. You haven't kept the law. Gentiles haven't kept the law. And because of that, we deserve wrath. We deserve God's justice, his rightful justice upon us. But God, he has sent his son, and he has borne the punishment, the wrath that you and I deserve. He's borne that on himself, and if we come to him with the empty hand of faith, just believing him and trusting him for that, our sins have been forgiven. He made Christ to be sin who knew no sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. It's through this way that God now justifies those who are sinners. He's justified. He justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. So you can imagine this was the content of his sermon. And he keeps going and, and, and telling them about how they have peace with God if they believe in Christ. Because they're justified, they have peace with God, but at the same time, they must fight sin. They've got to be, become slaves to righteousness. And when sin tries to come in and, and condemn them again, that there, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And he continues to go through and tell them that because of the mercies of God, because of the grace of God and him saving those who believe on his son, therefore live this way. Therefore... You know, obey, obey the leaders. Obey those who have put, put authority over you. Bear one another's burdens. Live with each other in a peaceful way. If you have, if have gifts, use them. This was probably his sermon to them, explaining what he had written to them three years prior. But it says he was testifying to them about the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. 
So this is the typical response to the gospel that we've seen all throughout Acts. We've seen all throughout even the gospels as Jesus is teaching that some were convinced and others disbelieved. And we see that as a result of this, that there is no such thing as a neutral response to the gospel. There's no such thing as a just, I'm just going to sit on it. I'm just going to kind of continue to live my life. Thanks for the good news. But one day when, when I'm 40 plus and I decide to just kind of settle down a little bit more, I'll start coming to church and I'll believe the gospel. There's no neutral response to the gospel. It's either one way or the other. It's, it's either believed by the grace of God in, in regenerating our hearts and causing us to put our faith and trust in Christ as our only hope, or it's disbelieved. There's no neutral response. Today, if you're sitting here on the gospel and you're just, you're, you're just kind of, I'm, I'm going to kind of toy with it a little bit more in my mind. I think, you know, I'm going to continue to live the way I, I kind of want to live. I've got my, my plan mapped out and the gospel, I'm... I'm going to try to drop it in right around, you know, this time. Or when I get a family, when I get this going for myself, then I'll believe. But there's, there's no such thing as a neutral response. That is disbelief. So if you are hearing the gospel today, believe. Pray that, that God would open your ears, open your eyes, open your heart to receive this gospel. Because Paul says what happens when those people disbelieve. When these people who disbelieve, Paul didn't just, it wasn't just some new thing and that they were just going to walk out on Paul and go, we heard this guy out. But no, it was still in Scripture. God would say, I, I know what's going to happen with those who disbelieve. I know why they're disbelieving. Let me, let me tell you what happens in disbelief. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand their heart, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So Paul gives this kind of note to the inspiration of Scripture, saying, wait, wait, I'm going back to Isaiah, but Isaiah didn't just say this. The Holy Spirit spoke it through Isaiah. God is saying this to you, to, to, to those that disbelieved and just kind of cut Paul off and walked away from him. Isaiah was saying something to them. The Holy Spirit was saying something to them. That this message, this message of the gospel cannot have this neutral response. It, it does something, either one way or the other. You don't control the gospel. The gospel actually takes control and it affects you. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You'll DC, but never perceive. These people, because they rejected the gospel, they closed their ears. This happens all throughout the book of Acts, even in the ministry of Jesus. Because the people have rejected the, his message, because the people have rejected the message of this gospel, and, and mostly in this context, it's the Jewish people who were rejecting this message. They thought it was only for them. They thought the salvation in the kingdom of God was only for them. And when, when Paul was talking about how Christ is the Savior of all, they, re, they rejected it. They resisted it. And because they resisted it with their ears, with their eyes, and they refused to see it, and they rebelled against it, there was this judicial decision by God to cover their ears, even after they had covered them, to cover their eyes, even after they had covered them, and to harden their hearts, even after they had hardened them. So this morning, if you, if you don't, if you haven't trusted in Christ, if you don't know the gospel, there's a warning right here. Don't put it off. Don't disbelieve. 
Maybe if you've trusted in it, and maybe you just say, I, 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 don't, I don't know about it. I, I've got my doubts sometimes. I, I just, I'm going to put it away, and I'll, I'll live life a little more. Don't disbelieve, because in covering your ears and covering your eyes and hardening your heart, it's like the person who, who opens the door and sees the, the beauty of, of Christ in the gospel and, and sees it and it's being presented before them and they hear the message and they see it and, and, a, and they look upon it and they see it and they, they shut the door on it. They said, no, I don't want that. I don't need that. And as a result of shutting the door, what happens is God stands at that door. He puts something over top of that door and he leaves you in that. Romans 1 talks about how he turns you over. He lets you continue to go in your rebellion, in your, in your disbelieving of the gospel. May this not happen to us. May this not happen to those of you who haven't heard the gospel. Don't reject it. Don't resist it. Because there may be a time where you're unable to receive it. This was a judicial decision by God. To harden the heart of these unbelieving Jews because they had willfully resisted the gospel of grace and insisted on relying on their own works. So the question for us is, will you listen? Will you listen and will you, will you keep listening? Have you listened to the gospel? Have you heard it? Do you believe it? Have you, have you trusted in Christ so much that you see your works, you see your sin, and you say, I, I can't trust in that anymore? Maybe I don't know if I understand it, but I know I can't trust in my works. Come to Christ with the empty hand of faith. Luke tells the story of a publican and a tax collector, of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And he says that the Pharisee just beats on his chest and says, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Come in that way. Listen to the gospel. Hear it and may, may God cry out, cry out to God. May, may your eyes be open. May your, may your ears be willing to listen to the gospel. So that's the message for us. Will you listen? And so I'll finish up here. Is that we see that this is one of the last things that, that happened in this book. Is that it says, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Because these Jews have rejected the gospel so many times. Because they had, they had just willfully rebelled against it. They thought it was for themselves. What happens is... God now says through Paul, therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. It's already been sent. There were people in Rome who had, who had already believed this. It had already gone throughout the world. Gentiles were being converted. It had already gone to them. And they will listen. And like I said, that's the question for us. Will you listen? This is us. The gospel has now been presented throughout the world. And people, these Gentiles, they will listen is what Paul says. May this be encouraging to us on mission. That as we go out into the world and that we talk to anybody and everybody. Be encouraged that, that God has said, that Paul has said here, that, that the gospel has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. They will listen. Be encouraged. Don't be timid in, in, your, in your giving to the gospel, thinking that it's based on you. No, God has turned this gospel to the Gentiles, and they will listen. God will bring his people in. The, the gospel will go forth, and it will draw people to God. But it's proclaimed through, through our preaching. So it says that he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. Now we ask, why is this, why is the gospel, why, why is Paul, why is Luke stopping here? Why is he stopping here with this? 
And I'll finish up here because I think my time is out. But we see that Luke probably ends this book in this way. That Many commentators have said that he ends this book abruptly because it's not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's not about any of the other people in this book, but it's about the mission of the gospel. It's about God advancing his mission. It's not about our lives. God cares very much so how we take out and carry out this mission. But it's not about our lives. It's about advancing this mission. It's about God's agenda in getting his gospel out to the world. And I think Luke ends this book because he ends his first volume the same way. If you look at Luke 24... And I'll finish here. I think he he says this is because Jesus ended the same way. Well, this first book ends the same way of Luke 24, verses 44. Jesus had risen from the dead. He had appeared to men on the road road to Emmaus. He come to to his disciples, and the first thing that he does after, after showing himself to them Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city till you are clothed with power from all high. And we see in Acts 28 that this is one of the last things that Paul does. He's gotten to Rome. He is, he's, he's finally gotten there. He sits down with the leaders and he opens a Bible with them and explains and points to Christ from the Scriptures. And Christ does the same thing. He points to himself with his disciples to the Scriptures. And our, 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 our method must be the same, to continuously point to Christ through the Scriptures, advancing the gospel wherever we go. This message that God has sent his son to die for sinners. And that if we believe and trust in his work, that we can be seen as the righteousness of God because Christ has taken the weight of our sins. So let me pray for us. Lord God, we just thank you for this time, Lord God. Continue to to help us realize that this, this message of Acts, Lord God, continues with us and our going forth on the mission, and advancing your gospel, Lord God. Help us to realize that it's not about us, but it's about your glory. Help us to enjoy you as we advance on mission, Lord God. Help us to proclaim your name, and may your spirit be with us. We continue to to give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.